0: Well, good morning and welcome again. It is great to be with you here today. My name is James and I'm part of the uh, team at Church for the City. It's a real joy to gather with you here today, hopefully uh, on our Sunday morning Zoom call together. Uh, But you might actually be catching up with this message on YouTube or maybe our podcast channel, but perhaps even you're looking in at Church for the City at the moment. Um, Well, if you are, we would love you to reach out and we'd just love to help you connect and serve you in any way that we can. So please do that. Uh, We obviously are really looking forward to getting together, we can't wait for that, and uh, that hopefully is not too far away when we're able to get together in person. But as you've heard, uh, restrictions have changed again, and even our venue looks like it might not be available when we are hoping for it to be. But we will be back together in person soon. Watch this space. Well, today I am down here at the beautiful Narrow Bean uh, Lake. I love it down here, it's one of my favorite places. <laughs> On Earth, uh, as LGA restrictions actually ease tomorrow on Monday the 11th, Freedom Day, we'd love to have you come down and join us here sometime. It is honestly one of my favourite places to be. I run around this lake uh, a couple of times a week. We take our kids bike riding on its paths. I often do prayer walks actually around some of the off piece tracks, like where we are right now. And if you're brave enough, you can have a picnic on the shores if you're willing to battle the overeager wildlife life. But this is not a tourism spot for Narrabeen Lake. There is a reason why we're filming uh, this down here today. It's because the story that I felt God lead me to to share with you today is kind of set in this sort of scene on a large body of water. And it's a familiar story. It's a story that I've read many times, but as I read it this time, I felt like there were some fresh things that captivated me. I felt like God dropped things in my spirit. He highlighted things to me that I had never seen before. And actually it's a story that appears in three of the four gospels. It appears in Matthew, in Mark, And in John. Uh, So you can, if you've got a physical Bible with you right now, you can put a finger in Mark 6, uh, Matthew 14, and John 6, because we're gonna be flicking back and forth between them. And the fact that it appears those in those three of the four Gospels kind of goes to show something of the importance and the significance of this event in the life of Jesus. Now, actually, each of those three accounts in Matthew, Mark, and John, they're slightly different from each other, but the differences between the accounts, there's nothing to be worried about. That doesn't, like, compromise the integrity or the verity of the story at all. If anything, it actually uh, strengthens uh, the accuracy because it shows that the authors weren't colluding when they penned these accounts uh, down together. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to draw from each of those different accounts because I feel like together, uh, the different parts that they have in them, uh, help to paint a really beautiful, very compelling uh, and very rich overall story. Now the story we're going to look at today is the story of Jesus walking on the lake. And before you subconsciously or consciously switch off and think, oh yeah, I've heard that story before, I just want to pray for us because I feel like God has something new for us all right now. Father, we want to thank you so much that your word is alive, that there's something new for us in it every time that we come to it. We thank you, God, that you're always speaking and that you speak particularly to us through your word. We don't want to come to it thinking today, oh yeah, I've heard this story, I know what it's about. We want to believe that you have something new for us. And so we want to ask God, would you speak to us afresh today? We pray, Holy Spirit, would you rest on us right now, wherever we might be as we tune into this. Would you open our hearts? Would you soften our hearts? And would you speak to us anew? In Jesus' name. Amen. What would tend to be my style is I'm just going to work through uh, this story verse by verse, uh, pause at different points to pick up uh, different things that I felt God highlight to me uh, in my reading and in my preparation. And like I said, we are going to be drawing from those three different accounts for us. Um, and the two kind of simple questions that I want us to be looking at today is like, what is the point of this story? What was Jesus trying to achieve by walking on the water? What's the main purpose of it? Why is it in our Bible? And The second question that we're looking to answer is, well, what does it mean for us? How do we apply it to our lives? So they're the two kind of very simple questions we're going to look at. We're going to start in John 6 together. It says this in verse 16. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. So the first thing that I asked myself when I read that verse was if it's evening, what happened in the day just prior. Well, if you've got your the Bible open on your device or in your hard copy Bible, if you scroll up the page, you will see that actually the events that transpired that day was that Jesus fed the 5,000 men or probably 10,000 people. That's what had happened uh, on that day. It's one of the most remarkable miracles on uh, in Jesus account when he feeds 10,000 people with a small boy's packed lunch. It then says that after feeding the crowd, uh, this, uh, in verse 14, it says that the people saw the sign Jesus performed and they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come to him and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain to be by himself." So there's something, first of all, to note here is that like people realize that Jesus is no average Joe. He's not like just an ordinary person. They begin to speculate like maybe he is a prophet. Maybe we should make him king or something like this. And, and like they know that there's something special about him. But up until this point, they've kind of missed the mark. And I wonder, like, maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you know that there's something special about it. Maybe there's people in your life uh, who you know, know that there's something special about Jesus. But up until this point, they've kind of just missed the mark. It says in verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake. Verse 17 says, where they got into the boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rode about three or four miles, that's about five to six kilometers. Now, I just want to pause here for a bit and paint a bit of a picture for us. It says actually in uh, Mark 6, that Jesus uh, had left them in the evening and immediately it says that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. And then actually in uh, Matthew 14, it says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So we're just going to like paint a bit of a timeline here for us. It was shortly before dawn. Now that is uh, literally what the verse says is in the fourth watch of the night. That means in the time kind of between three and six M. So the timeline is Jesus feeds the crowd during the day, this incredible, miraculous miracle. Then when evening comes, let's say that's roughly about 6 p.m., he sends his disciples on ahead of him uh, immediately to go into the boat ahead of him. They battle against the wind and the waves until Jesus appears to them sometime just before dawn in the final watch of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m. That means that from 6 p.m. the night before until 3 a.m., am the next morning they've been rowing against the wind against the tide and against the waves that's like nine hours of rowing John 6 says again a strong wind was blowing the waters grew rough when they'd rowed about three or four miles nine hours it took them to row just five or six kilometers like that's progress of about like one and a half kilometers an hour now for comparison purposes the average person walks about five kilometers an hour so These guys were rowing at about a third of average walking speed. Like that is slower than what a bridesmaid walks down the aisle. That's that's as slow as what a baby crawls. Like that is incredibly, incredibly slow. Now, whenever I go surfing, I paddle out the back, I pick a marker on the shore like a reference point where I'm always going to come back to this point after I've caught a wave but sometimes the conditions are quite rough and the current is strong and after you've caught a wave you've got to paddle back against the current to get back to that reference point, back to that marker. Now the truth is, like if I've got a paddle for more than a couple of minutes to get back to my reference point or the marker, I just catch the next wave in and go for breakfast or go get coffee or something like that. These guys have been rowing for nine hours and they have barely made any progress at all. Maybe they have covered five kilometers. That's a little bit like taking a full work day to get just the length of this lake. Like, that's not very far. I run around this lake a few times uh, every week. Now, maybe you can identify with that. Like, not necessarily the rowing activity, but maybe you feel like you've been fighting against the wind and the waves and the current for months or maybe even years. And maybe you're asking what the disciples were asking was, what, and where has Jesus been all of this time? And maybe you feel like you're going nowhere in your job at the moment. Maybe you feel like your career has stalled and you feel like you're rowing but you're not making any progress. Perhaps you feel like, you know, although your kids are getting older and you expected the pressure to come off a little bit, lockdowns and homeschooling and all sorts of other pressures have come into your life and now you feel like you're pushing, you know what, uphill and stuff's not getting easier and you feel like you haven't had a break for months now. Maybe you've been like, trying to set aside money every week or every month Uh, you know trying to save up enough to upgrade your car or maybe get a deposit on a place or even just live a little less paycheck to paycheck or visit that family member you've not seen in a long time but no matter how hard you try it feels like the winds against you and you cannot get ahead maybe you feel like overwhelmed most days there's very little that excites you in life anymore. You spend many days feeling depressed, many moments feeling really anxious. You feel like you've been battered by the wind and the waves and you're tempted to give up rowing, but you know if you do, you'll just end up in a worse position and you get pushed further back downstream or maybe worse, the boat might capsize. I was uh, lifeguarding a couple of weeks ago at my local surf club and uh, in the afternoon this roaring southerly picked up and and the, the waves got big, the current was strong. And there was a small catamaran offshore that actually capsized and the two guys on the boat were trying to upright the vessel and they got it up a couple of times, but then the wind would blow it back over again. And then they pulled the sail in and they tried to get up upright, but the current was too strong. So we sent out a rescue boat to go uh, give them a hand and tow them back into Fisherman's Beach. Like there is no way, no way that those two guys were going to get where they wanted to go on their own. And maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like you just do not see a way to get where you wanna go. You've been rowing against the tide. You've been rowing against the wind and being battered by the waves and you're barely making any progress and you're in fear that if you stop rowing, it's only gonna end up worse for you. It was about 10 miles. Across the lake. That's all they needed to travel. About 15, 16 kilometers. They've barely covered a third of that distance. If they keep rowing at the same pace that they're going, it's going to take another 18 hours for them to get there. That's a huge journey. But then Jesus appears. It says in Mark 6 shortly before dawn, He went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, pass them by. But when they saw him on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. It actually says in um, Matthew 14, they were terrified, it's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. It says in John 6, they were frightened. There are a couple of things to notice here. The first thing to notice is that like they got a glimpse of Jesus but they but they missed it and they misread it and actually it caused them to be a little bit more afraid yeah you know, sometimes Jesus gives us a glimpse of himself but we don't see it like the disciples don't recognize him and ironically they end up being more frightened by his presence than what they were by His absence. And if that's possible for the disciples, then like, it's totally plausible for us to have times in our lives where we don't recognize His hand at work. We don't recognize His presence with us. We don't recognize His blessing and His provision on our lives. A guy called Peter Schizero says this. He says, God's absence is a form of His presence. God's absence is a form of his presence. One great temptation in remaining stuck in following our good feelings about Jesus, but not Jesus himself. He says, actually, when those good feelings disappear, it is a key moment to mature spiritually. And and the more we mature spiritually, the more clearly we, we will see him and the more readily we'll acknowledge his hand at work in our lives. The verse said, he passed them by. He passed. It's the same description as when in Exodus 33, God had hid Moses in a cleft of a rock and passed by him. It's the same description as in 1 Kings 19 when Elijah was on the mountaintop and God passed by him as there as well. And this like pass-by reference, I think it's like, it's this clue to like the significance of the event that's transpiring in front of the disciples right now. And here comes the great reveal for them in John 6. It says in verse 19, they were frightened by verse 20. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. Now, what he actually said, the Greek is ego eimi. I'm terribly sorry I've mispronounced that. What that means, though, is... I am. I am. I am Yahweh. I am the master of the winds and the waves. I am the one who walks on top of the very waters that I created. I am the one who defies physical laws. I'm the one who's undoing the old law and putting a new law of grace in its place. I- I'm the one who's not just a prophet, who's not a king who's gonna reign on an earthly throne. I'm not some superhero, I'm not a genie with cheap parlor tricks. I am, I am Yahweh, I am Lord of all creation, I'm God of of wonders. I'm the one who spoke stars into being. I'm the one who breathed life into man. I am those things. That's me in the flesh. And that is the point of this story. That's why Jesus revealed himself in that way. So the disciples knew who he was, what he was trying to achieve. He's like, I've given you glimpses into my divinity to help you kind of unravel my identity. I've given you hints along the way. I've been dropping signs, but here I am in all my glory. You don't follow some like great superhero or prophet or genius. I'm the very Son of God, the Lord of all creation, God of wonders. It's no wonder that it says in Matthew 14 32, they worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now you might be wondering, like, yeah, didn't they know that already? Like they'd, they'd been wandering around with Jesus for a while. They'd seen some of the miracles. They'd seen him perform many signs. They'd been listening to his teaching. Didn't they already know that he was truly the son of God? Yeah, of course, there are a number of, the, of moments in the gospel where Jesus kind of pulls back the curtain, as it were, to reveal something of his divinity. But the fact that that happens a number of moments, a number of moments in the gospel, tells me that there is the propensity in the human heart to forget who Jesus really is. There is a propensity in the human heart to do that, or at least become overly familiar with the idea of it. And like, we can be like that as well. Like, how often do we really forget who Jesus is like? We treat him like a superhero. Like, oh, there goes Jesus off to save the day. It's great. I wish I knew him. Got no relationship with him. See, he's not a superhero who's distant and we don't have relationship with. It's not like he's a genie that if we rub the outside of a lamp, we get our three wishes and life is better for us. That's not who he is, not performing cheap parlor tricks. He's certainly not the awkward uncle that we hide away when we're around our friends and our family. It says in verse 14, uh, sorry Matthew 14, "They worshipped him, saying, "Truly, you are the Son of God." Now you might also be thinking, um, is this a story when Peter gets out of the boat and he takes a couple of steps and takes his eyes off Jesus, falls in the water? Is that, is that the same story that we're lurking, looking at right here? Now, this, that, it is the same story, but that's a whole other preach. Now, it's, it's the same story, but here's what's interesting. That part of the story only appears in one of the three Gospels. It only appears in Matthew. Like Peter doesn't get a mention in Mark or John. And I think like that's because the point of the story is not that Peter can't walk on water. The point of the story is that Jesus can walk on water. The point of the story is not that Peter's faith and his failings. The point of the story is Jesus and his divinity. That's the point of the story. So what does it mean for us? How can we apply it to our lives? Let me share with you perhaps my favorite part of the whole story. John 6, 21 says, then they were willing to take him into their boat. I love that. (laughs) They were willing to take him into their boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Like picture this scene. They are standing there, frozen in fear, eyes bulging, jaws dropped. And then someone says, uh, 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 "Jesus, do you want do you want to get in the boat with us?" They invite him into the boat and it says, immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Have you ever picked that up? Immediately, it's immediately. For nine hours, they have fought against the wind and the waves and barely made any progress. They've just got battered. They've made it like a third of their journey across the water and then immediately the boat reaches the shore where they were heading. What's happened here? Well, I think that there are like two likely possibilities in my mind. i mean, I say likely, but like they're two like miraculous, impossible, unlikely explanations for what happens here in the story. The first is that like they were miraculously transported the remaining six miles of their journey. And like that is not totally out of the question because like he is the Lord of all creation. He could have just miraculously transported them the remaining six miles of their journey. The second like miraculous, unlikely, implausible explanation though is that actually they were so in awe, they were so lost in wonder that what was previously impossible by human effort became possible because of the empowering presence of Jesus with them. They were so lost in awe, so lost in wonder that what was previously impossible by a human effort alone became possible because of the empowering presence of Jesus with them. He either rescued them out of the sea entirely or he enabled them to continue on in their voyage. It's a little like they'd been stuck out at sea, battered by the wind and the waves, weren't able to upright their vessel. And then this rescue boat comes along with this powerful petrol engine and tows them to safety. Your life is hard work. And in this season, I know you're very aware of how hard life has been. And sometimes it feels like we are making little progress. And especially when we're trying to forge our own way with rusty and splintered oars. But then John and John, like the guy who wrote this account, John is in the boat with the rest of the disciples. And what he's telling us here is that like everything changes instantly. Everything changes immediately when we call out to Jesus, when we invite the great I am into our boat. When we start living by his paddle power, everything changes for us. When we live in the in awe of the reality that in Christ's death, and resurrection in our place. Our greatest need, the the need to repair the gap that our sin created between us and our maker, the, the, the need to repair the relationship between us and our father, the need to have a hope and an assurance and a confidence that our future and our eternity were secure. Our greatest need has been completely and totally and utterly met already. I believe that that becomes the power that we need to plug into in order to carry on. Like we have entrusted him already with our eternity. We put all our eggs in his basket for our eternity. Shouldn't we trust him with our here and now as well? But when was the last time that we were so lost in awe, so lost in worship that like time literally, literally, literally stood still for us? When was the last time that that happened? I loved what Dave shared when he opened worship for us last week and he said yeah, he's made the choice to rejoice in all circumstances, to live a life of grateful worship, and rather now than struggling with his oars, he's just living in awe. I love that. Yeah, As restrictions begin to ease, as lockdown lifts... Let's not allow our hope and our trust and our confidence be in like slightly reducing wind strength. (laughs) Let's not put our hope and trust and confidence in that. Like in many ways, Monday the 11th, tomorrow cannot come quickly enough. Like we're really excited about getting to enjoy and experience some of these freedoms. No amount of circumstances changing, no amount of weather conditions changing are really going to enable us to get where God wants to get us in this life. We need the great I am, the master of the wind and the waves. Do you know who's in our boat? The great I am, the Lord of all creation, the God of wonders. Let's share that great I am with a world so desperately in need of him. God bless. Love you guys heaps.